Hey, this is Dave Fryer. Welcome to Leading Agile's Sound Notes. Today we have two guests, Dennis Stevens and his squeaky chair. Dennis, how are you? I'm good, Dave. How are you <laughs> I figured I'd just put that out there up front so later when they hear it, they'll know that's what it is. Thank um, you. And so you are well and healthy and working, sheltering in place like, like the rest of us. You know, it's it's interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm completely locked in the house, um, being very careful. And my um wife is going to the hospital every day. Um, she's not in the emergency room, she's not in the ICU, she does discharge planning and management for the local hospital, but the hospital's almost entirely made up of um uh corona uh, virus yeah. right now. So wow, that's scary. In the midst of it. Well, please thank her for her, the work that she's doing. That's some pretty scary stuff. I just make her wash her hands really well when she comes home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good, good. Okay, so on to our topic. Today, we're going to talk about um, switching from project funding to product funding, and we're going to talk about why that's so important. We're going to talk about what kind of things, what kind of obstacles you might be facing if you're doing that, uh, what benefits it's going to give you, why it's so important. But before we get into that, Dennis, how would you, like, if there's folks that haven't listened to the podcast before, how would you explain your background? So I have a background in, um, uh, started out doing like major project recoveries, um, helping um, take contingency projects uh, and fixing them so they could deliver the business value that's necessary. Um, learned a lot doing that, did some of that independently, did some of that for some big consulting companies. Um, I've been a CIO. I helped build out um, the business architecture practice at Microsoft. I was a significant contributor to building that out. So sort of formed a point of view or brought my point of view to that. And then um, have been helping leading agile, bring all that experience to bear in the marketplace for the last 10 years. All right, cool. Thank you. And I, I just want to add one thing that I don't know if I've mentioned this to you before, but one of the things that's always cool, like when we go to the conference in the summer, is all the people, like all those people that are doing keynotes and stuff, almost all of them reference you when I interview. Every time I interview Alistair or Troy or any of those other people, they always talk about you and the things that they learn from working with you, which is really cool. They're very kind. Well, you're a very influential person. That's what I'm trying to share with the folks that are listening. <laughs> so they should pay attention to what you're saying. Um, all right. So what? before we get into the funding aspect of it, there's been a big shift, I guess, maybe over the last year and a half, two years, this big push to move to product-centered approaches to work instead of project approaches to work. So why, why is that taking place and what is the reason for it? Yeah, there's a few, there's a few really, there's my chair. There's a few really <laughs> um, significant things that, that are making that happen. One is um, you've got to move decisions closer to the metal, closer to contact with the client um, to be responsive and, and doing that with projects sometimes is really hard because what happens is those projects get defined, um, uh, up front and then, and they're getting, they're getting implemented without the ability to tailor them close to the ground. So those projects, um, are also becoming much, much more cross-functional. So those, those strategic projects are going to make a difference, um, are, are cutting across multiple functional areas in the organization. It's hitting IT, it's hitting customer service, it's hitting the functional delivery groups, it's hitting like just all across the organization. So what happens is um, projects are hard to orchestrate, projects are hard to adapt, and uh, projects are hard to measure progress because when you've got four or five big strategic projects going at the same time, 
and they're all uh, com- creating competing demand against the organization, it's really yeah. hard to prioritize them. Okay. Now, is this something that is, I mean, it sounds like this is not specifically something that's taking place in Agile. You, did, you didn't, I mean, kind of characterize it one way or the other. So I'm just assuming that this shift is something that's being seen as necessary across whatever type of approach you're taking to delivering work. Yeah, I think that's true. I think people that are trying to solve this problem, like the, especially the moving faster and being more responsive to the market, yeah, are, are also doing Agile. Okay. But if you do Agile just around projects, you end up with um, people getting pulled in a million directions because they're trying to cr- pull from all those cross-functional teams. So again, creating stable sort of capacity that you can align with a class of problem. Yeah. Um, allows you to build agile teams. So they're they're different ends of the same sort of problem. Agile is more of an implementation. Okay. Um, and uh, the big strategic projects are a response to demand in the marketplace. Okay. Now, on the agile side of things, it seemed to me like, I mean, and I'm taking kind of my cue for this from what happens in the classes I do, but it seems to me like where there used to be this big push towards, you know, getting teams set up, that over the past couple of years, people finally realized that the gap was in the role of the product owner or defining what are we building? Why are we building it? And I'm assuming if that's true, which is what I want to check in with you on, then that's kind of leading this drive towards or kind of the next step is this product centric approach. Is that? Yeah. So I think, I think you're right. I think those classes of problems, when you start from the implementation side, yeah, unveil themselves as you move up. So first, I had to get teams that could actually deliver and respond to the market at the at the ground roots. Okay. Then, then I had to start making sure I was putting the most valuable things in front of them. Now it turns out that putting the most valuable things in front of them, particularly in in this concept of digitalization and these cross functional, more value stream oriented solutions we're doing. Right. It turns out that now there's a bunch of competing concerns. So you can't just build the team stably. You've got to sort of align the whole organization around a class of problem you're solving for your customer. Okay. And that leads us to the funding problem. So what is the funding problem that we're actually trying to solve here? So when you're funding projects, but you're trying to build an organization that's aligned with customer uh, needs, like it's around product lines, around capabilities, um, the funding that's coming into these organizations is coming from a whole bunch of different directions. Um, Or... They're inside the team, but they're still um, separating their funding for keep the lights on from their funding for um, product health and platform modernization from the project funding. And so the teams that are doing the work are actually getting competing demand from two or three different directions in, in their funding model. A really, really common thing that we're seeing is the business driving project funding or new functionality funding and the IT organizations trying to do modernization and um, and maintenance, and and having a difficult time reconciling, yeah, uh, those funding models. Okay, so if we if we're moving down this path, is that I'm assuming that just to play like total idiot for a second, we're not saying that the company's got to switch to something like instead of funding things annually, where you're going to bring your hundred projects in and you end up doing ten. We're not saying you're only going to fund every project two weeks at a time and kill it off if it's not delivering. Yeah, so I think that's I think that's a flawed perception. Um, I think what we're gonna f- I think what you start to fund um, when you get into it is you start to fund the ability of a product line to achieve a strategic outcome. Um, this concept of then breaking that down into what changes to capabilities do I have to make to achieve that outcome, 
And then how do I drive that work? Because now I've, I've, I've put my ability, I've aligned my ability to deliver value to the market um, to a large extent, often not perfectly, but to a large extent with the actual delivery to the market. So what the market needs and my ability to deliver um, are much more aligned in this, in this, new, in this new model. So do you, when you just mentioned um, you're funding a strategic outcome, have you found that before this com- or when this these conversations start that there's often a disconnect between you know whatever the strategic goals the company has like they're at one level and then people are deciding we need this answer and telling the teams go build the answer and the people on the teams don't know that there's a connection between strategy and what they're being asked to do they're just told go do the thing yeah in practice as we're creating the structures to connect um, to connect the strategy down yeah. to the actual epics features and stories that teams are delivering, we're finding there's a, a tremendous disconnect in the language and the understanding, um, but also even in the expectations of different parts of the organization to be successful. And so, so that disconnect just, just makes it really difficult um, for the teams to be successful. And what ends up happening when you don't have a really clear connection all the way up is um, the delivery teams end up making strategic decisions about what's actually going to get delivered. Um, and, they, and they don't have any idea what the strategic desires of the company are necessarily. And they don't have clarity to make the right precise decisions. That's correct. Right. Okay. So how would you, how do you, when you sit down with executives, right? This is going to be two part question, but when you sit down with executives and you start to have this conversation with them, how do you explain the difference? I mean, like, Beyond a theoretical level, what is this going to do to them day to day in terms of how they look at work and how they fund work and how they do their jobs? This kind of change. Yeah, so that's interesting. There's probably layers to that. Okay. So let me let me step back a little bit and talk about what they're saying. What they're saying is they're spending a lot of money to keep their systems running right. and a lot of money on projects. Projects are late to be delivered and the money they're spending to keep the lights on or to modernize their platforms continues to increase every year. Yeah. So they know there's something wrong, right? They, they don't understand the dynamics that are leading toward it. But when you turn around and you go, we're going to do this agile and just start giving a chunk of money to a part of the organization and let them do whatever they want to, um, there's tremendous resistance to that because they're, they're concerned that they're going to lose the line of sight towards um, – are they getting what they expected for the dollars they're spending? They're going to they're, they're gonna be problems with capitalization versus expense models in their organization. There's whole parts of the world that they're operating with that are designed around creating safety for the organization and fiduciary responsibility for the organization around delivering the projects that are supposed to be funded. But, but can I pause you there for one second? Don't. Don't you think that that line of sight that they had, you know, just said, are they getting what they expected, which they thought they had under waterfall? I would argue that they didn't have that anyway. They had like a fakey version of it. Yeah. You know, I've been in a meeting with the president of an organization. I said, I said, you understand that you really didn't have the transparency that you expected. And he goes, yes, but I was able to sleep at night. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. It's like, it, it's, it's the concrete life raft. It's totally wrong information, but it's the only thing they have. And it's like a blanket. People would rather be safe than right in these, yeah. in these uncertain um, circumstances. So, so there's a ton there. And, and you know what? The project funding isn't the worst thing ever. It just leads to some, it, it, it leads to some destructive behavior in organizations. So 
Um, and, and it limits their ability to adapt to the market. And they probably spend more money to get the value in the market than they would need to if they funded products. And so people are starting to understand that. But what they're grasping for is I want to have that and I want to have yeah. the safety. <laughs> Fat-free fat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, do you agree that, I mean, it, it solves a problem that we probably had at one point, but it's not the problem we're facing anymore. Yeah. When funding a project, I could send it to a single team because there was a single product and they could go build it and get it done and deliver it. Yeah. Yeah. That made a ton of sense. There are okay. very, very few pieces of work that we're doing today in organizations that are totally isolated to a single platform. And all the ones that are strategic and driving value are cross-platform, cross-organizational, um, cross-customer contact applications. Yeah. So, so what kind of um, things are going to get in the way of somebody doing this? Like, what obstacles are they going to face? Yeah. So I think, I think there's three. The first one we just talked about. Okay. How do we make sure from a fiduciary responsibility standpoint and a capitalization um, expense standpoint, how do we make sure that we're um, doing the right things to um, make sure we're spending money and getting the results that we want and make sure that we're accounting for it in alignment with um, expectations of the market and the, and the rules of accounting. So right? they need new measures, new metrics for that of some kind. They need another way to accomplish both of those. Okay. Um, there's also, interestingly, there's like a lack of trust on the side of the business that um, the technology organization left to its own devices will work on the most important things. And that lack of trust actually comes from the fact that IT organizations for long periods of time have not always delivered the most important thing. What's funny about it is it's the project funding model itself that leads to that. It's funding 10 times more things than I have capacity to deliver that leads to that. So the, so what they're trying to hold on to, grasp onto, to maintain that trust um, is actually producing the gap that's causing them to not trust the IT organization. So I want to ask a question about this, and this is a little bit off topic, but one of the things that I found um, at a lot of companies is and this is under our project funding model, that there'd be a lot of IT efforts that would be started and funded. The upgrade of this, the introduction of that, whatever. And how it tied back to company strategy was never clarified. It was just like, we need this. And it got to this point where IT tended to seem to look at itself like it was the reason the company existed and everyone else was there for their benefit and they would provide capabilities. And if the salespeople didn't know how to use them, well, they were just idiots. Yeah, that's probably pretty dysfunctional. I, I think there's less, um, less of that now. But yeah, there's there's less malevolence in the IT organization than than that probably in most cases, right? I think okay. I, I think that people are trying to do the best they can in the circumstances that exist, but the only way that they can survive um, is to uh, make decisions about how to implement it that are not connected to the strategic intent or to what the business is asking for every day. Okay. Okay. Because they're playing a longer game often. That's right. Okay. Um, all right. So you mentioned that we've got this this one obstacle, which is the capex and the fiduciary responsibility stuff. So what are some other obstacles? Um, that lack of trust between business and IT. Okay. Uh, the, the trust that if we gave all this money to a part of the organization, they would actually work on the right things. Okay. So so that they they need those markers of projects to make sure they're spending money on valuable stuff. And there's a lack of trust in the IT organization that the business won't just run roughshod over IT and make it impossible to build sustainable uh, 
sustainable platforms, sustainable systems that, that they can run over time. So there's because the because there's a tension between the two groups and nobody's paying attention to the other group's tension because there's a division of interests. Yeah. IT gets rewarded for keeping the systems up and running and delivering projects on time. And they can't really control whether they're the right projects or not. They don't want to sign up for that. Right. And, and the business kind of controls achieving success in the organization. They're not at all interested in trying to pay for the success of a platform. Here's a really interesting thing. Um, when the way when the way in my strategic funding model, I get a project to the top of the stack is to have the biggest ROI of any project. Yeah. One of the things I'm going to cut out is all the things that go into modernization, testing, keeping the lights on, monitoring, all the sort of responsible things that the IT organization has to do, because they should just do that anyway, right? <laughs> well, that's, that was going to be my next question is, what do we do with that stuff? Because yeah. so that, 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 that gets cut out because we're prioritizing based on, um, based on del- the delivery of a project. There's no place where the business is accountable for the cost of uh, health of the uh, for the, for the health of the platform. That's right. Yeah. Well. So okay. So how? So is that stuff that could still be funded in a project centric way, or should that all? Because it's not like you're if 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 what you're doing is just maintaining things. That's not like you're producing a new product. So the way that we're kind of looking at it is, if I fund a product, if I fund a product line, if I fund a capability, um, I can then look at this tension between the cost to keep the lights on, yeah. the cost to make changes to it, and the health of the platform. I can be looking at those three things in concurrence. And with each investment I'm making, I have to see how it moves the needle on those three things together. Um, the other thing that becomes interesting if I, if I start to fund that way is I can start to prioritize based on the value proposition to the customer or toward the strategic goal of that capability, that product line as opposed to whether the project is completed on time and on cost. So what I'm assuming you're going to have different layers of customers, internal, external, things like that. Well, you're going to, you're going to have, you're going to have clear value propositions for the different stakeholders of the product. Okay. And you'll be able to prioritize those investments that you're making. It'll also create some ability to understand, like if I'm doing six different projects and I'll affect the way that my salespeople interface with the customer I can start to look at that more clearly because I can begin to line up sort of those, those value propositions, all the things we're doing against the sales user because they, they have like a common view. Or I can start to do a better job of decomposing large value propositions into smaller ones. Again, the biggest project wins. Now I want to get the densest project wins. So instead of, instead of rolling 15 things that might be good for a customer to get a big enough number, yeah. to get a project to the top, I want to put one thing through because that team that capacity is still going to be there and I'm going to put the next most valuable thing and the next most valuable thing and the next most valuable thing into it. Um, Cause it's not like I'm spinning up a project and need to do everything I might ever want to do against it while that team's in place before it becomes dismantled. But so do people ever respond to that with the statement? Like when you said, I'm going to put one thing through, I totally agree with that. And I'm also thinking you're placing a much bigger bet. It's kind of increasing your risk. I don't think it is. If you look at the, if you look at sort of the, the flow model that we talk about in agile and in lean, yeah, I can get eight things out in eight months by doing them, by doing eight, one month long things right? and work on everything for eight months and deliver them all at the end. There's way more risk and way more, way less adaptability in working everything at the same time and rolling them out at the, 
Okay. So, so this is where I wanted to go. So it's, you're producing, you're focusing on one thing. You're limiting your, your projects and process or products and process. Sorry. I would say your changes and yeah, your, your value propositions. Yes. And, and you're learning every step of the way. So every time you ship, you're taking in information, getting feedback and figuring out how that has to change what you do next. So that's alleviating some of that risk. You're actually getting the stuff done. So you're gaining momentum and you can use that to continue to build forward as opposed to waiting a year and then hoping something's actually ready to ship. Yeah. And you can take into account, you can look at the tensions of, um, I needed to get that thing out really, really fast, but now I've incurred a bunch of technical debt. So my scores on the platform health are much lower and my ability to get the next two things out has been dramatically slowed down. Yeah. So make a business decision about whether to invest in the modernization or um, the maintenance or shove another thing out. It, sometimes it's appropriate to put things out with a ton of technical debt Yeah, because getting out to the market. But if you do that too much and you break everything, that's a problem. The problem is, is nobody's making those decisions in context of each other. Um, typically, typically it's an argument as opposed to a shared understanding. So understanding of tolerances for those risks. And we're talking about context across the portfolio as well. That's right. Everything that's going on. Okay. Um, I want to come back to that one in a second, but I want to, you've mentioned tension a number of times. Um, Whenever that word comes up, and I've heard, you know, Mike's used that too, but I always come back to like, I think about a string on an instrument, like you played violin. So too tight, it's going to snap. Too loose, it makes no sound. Is there anybody whose job it is to watch the tension and maintain the right level of tension and basically tune the tension so that this this instrument or this organization is producing the right sound or at the right frequency? It's got to be somebody's responsibility. Um, Okay. You know, I, I think it. I think it's a. I think it's a sea level sort of um, intent. They set the tolerances because what you're trying to create in organizations, they can be really adaptable and move really fast. Is you're trying to create the conditions where you can move decision making down in the organization. Yeah. By putting some strategic intent there, and then sort of be confident that people are making the best decisions for the organization. So I think. I think as it rolls up, we'll call about. We'll talk about an investment tier. Or a, strategy tier, I think as it rolls up in an organization, they've got to be looking at all three of those numbers. And when something's getting too tight or too loose, I think they get to make the decision about what we change our focus to. Um, when it's the responsibility of too far down in the organization to set the guardrails, I'm not sure the right decisions ever get made. Okay. And you said all three levels. So what, what were the three levels again? I just want to make sure people all three, are... All three tensions. Am I, am I adding... Okay. The, Functionality for the organization aligned with strategic value. Am I maintaining the cost of my product, the total cost of ownership of my product or my platform? Okay. Am I maintaining the health of my organization's ability to add things at the rate I need to, to be competitive in the market? So is this, it sounds almost like there's a level of detail or scrutiny that's being required now that we just didn't have in the past. In the same way that, you know, if you got an Apple watch on, it tells you all this data about, your exercise and your heart rate and all that stuff. People live fine without that before, but you can kind of optimize yourself a little bit with that stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to suggest that all of that information was being tracked by somebody in the organization. They just want to align towards the same outcome. Okay. They were, they were like woven together in a way that was very difficult to manage the trade-offs and tensions. And, and it was three different people's, uh, responsibility or three different parts of the organization's responsibility to balance those three things out. So they were constantly fighting. I think it's, 
I think it's a consolidated business decision. Um, and, and I think that they need to be aligned with each other and aligned with the needs of the market to make those decisions. And I think you can do that once you've got a product aligned or capability aligned organization. So if, if I'm tuning a stringed instrument, I tune, I, you know, I tighten one, it, it changes the pitch of the others. Like it changes the tension in the others. So before you would have each being tuned separately, but you're talking about like orchestrating these three things so that they're tuning together. Yeah. And I would suggest that organizations probably think that they're doing that to some regard. Um, there are probably some organizations that do it well. Most of the ones that we walk into, those tensions are destructive. We have clients that are trying to have stable um, delivery teams that are getting built up and torn apart every... Um, <laughs> tension? I got tension right here, buddy. Yeah, because, because of project funding. Or we have a very common thing we see is that to keep the lights on costs and the uh, replatforming costs are twice what they should be Yeah, because they're trying to keep the organizational constructs in place because they know there's another project coming up. I don't know how it's going to hit them yet. Okay. Um, so, so we have a lot more dollars in the system than we're getting value out for. So you end up keeping a team together that has a certain set of skills um, doing things that aren't really critical because you've got a team that you want to keep together. Um, so there's, there's, some, there's some interesting dynamics we'll go into another time about how you create, um, how you manage with volatility and demand in a, in a product-based organization. But the cost right now of, of project-based organizations competing against um, replatforming modernization projects, competing against keep the lights on, there's a lot more dollars in the system that are necessary to manage all three of those if they were viewed under a single lens. So I want to make sure that this people are tracking with what you just said. So this could actually save the company's money. I think inevitably it will save them money. Wow. Okay. So what, what do they have to do to be able to get themselves ready for this? The, I mean, uh, obviously call leading agile, but beyond that, <laughs> beyond that. Well, no. So, so the types of things that we're looking at putting in place, um, you've got to get the whole stack of the organization aligned with something that, delivers value to the customer, a product line, a set of capabilities that serve multiple product lines, a platform that serves multiple capabilities, kind of be intentional about designing the capability and then figuring out how it aligns to, to delivering strategy. You have to be intentional about what it means for that capability to be aligned with delivering organizational value. So we're doing a lot of work around um, uh, OKRs and focusing objectives and making sure that we're really clear what it means for this group to be being successful. How do you decompose that into closing capability gaps? Like, okay. What do I have to get better at to get there? So you have to, those are, those are three key pieces. And then there's just these, the ongoing sort of balancing capacity and demand um, in real time that goes on, but that balance capacity and demand is much easier now because everything's aligned. Okay. But the, but the first step is to select the product or products or services or whatever it is that you're going to be getting squared away behind. Yeah. Okay. And, and what is this going to do? I mean, wh where does this cause them heartache if they put this into play? I mean, it's going to save them money. They're going to be more focused. They're going to be more strategic in their decision-making. We can push the decision-making downstream. Um, there, are there, is there like a, a downside to this? Yeah, there's there's probably two. Um, one of them is it just causes such a shift in the way that we've kept track of things from a financial standpoint. 
there's a lot of work to do to get everybody aligned around that. It can create some sense of uncertainty. Okay. But, but if we get really good at it, we can actually give all the information. That, that has to be like a first-class citizen. It's not just about getting dollars out the door. It's aligning, I mean, getting, getting product out the door. It's about, you, you have to, that, that, that financial fiduciary responsibility has to be a first-class citizen of solving for this. The other one is that the amount of work that it takes to build a, a system that you can trust to delegate into um, requires maintenance and effort. You know, it's, it's, it's easier to just sort of walk around and have every crisis escalate up to the top and they have to make real-time decisions. That's um, the way we always did it. That's how we've run it because it, yeah. ta- because it takes effort to build a trusted system you can delegate into. Well, it takes effort to build a dysfunctional system too. It feels different. It's more ad hoc. It, it seems to be more responsive. It's actually less responsive, yeah. less adaptable. It's less transparent, but it just, it just feels easier, especially when you don't know. Like, okay, great. I want to I put a system in place that I can delegate into, um, delegate with intent, and, and then make sure that I know whether we're making progress or not. Yeah. Agree with you. How do I go do that? Well, we sort of have like a, an answer to that. Um, but, but it's, it's not, it's not like putting safe in doesn't solve that problem. Safe is like a component in a certain circumstance of solving that problem and, uh, putting in OKRs or design thinking doesn't solve that problem. It's like a class of a problem. So you have to solve collectively solve a whole stack of problems together, um, with intent to get what you want out of the organization. Well, and wouldn't you say that those things you just brought up, like safe or, or you know, design thinking or, or whatever, they're just tools in a toolbox. They, they can be applied in certain situations towards a desired outcome. But if you don't even know what the problem you're fixing is, those tools aren't necessarily going to help you. And if all those tools aren't aligned towards the most valuable problem, you're not going to get the result that you want. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So there's, there's work to do to, to maintain that transparency, to maintain that alignment. Um, that most organizations aren't very good at today. Okay. Uh, I want to ask you one more question about the finance thing. So that, so what we measure, how we measure is going to change, but I'm assuming that if you were to go to somebody like Paul or, or some finance person, that having the conversation about, you know, we used to look at these things, now we're going to look at these other things. I'm assuming that that's probably not too much of a stretch for them if we, they get why. We've actually got a paper on the capitalization of internal and external software and how this changes with stable agile organizations, how you measure that. Oh, um, great. It's just, it's just different than what a lot of people are doing, right? Okay. It's different than their internal controls are set up today. So these aren't, some of these aren't fast moves. Yeah. Which is why in our model, a lot of times we consider it sort of a late binding thing. You have to, you have to change the ability of the organization to deliver um, before you start trying to change how you fund projects. Like with some of our clients, we've been there for a year and a half or two years. We've headed pretty far down the road. And now we're going after changing the funding and change the capitalization stuff. I think if you start there and the organization can't deliver in the new fashion, you're going to stumble. So I think there's an order of this that makes sense. So in, the, in our base camp model, which base camp was this introduced? Base camp four. Oh, um, this is pretty far. Okay. So f- for those of you that listen, it's five base camps. So this is pretty far down the path. Yeah, it's actually probably not that linear, but... But the point that we're trying to make with putting in a base camp four is um, you can't you can't change your funding model if the organization can't deliver in relatively yeah. market aligned slices. You need to be more mature in your adoption of this way of working before you start changing that. That's right. Okay. Um, you, probably, you probably could do it all at once if you were crazy and totally invested in it and deeply understood it. It would just be chaotic. 
Well, and if nobody at your company was going to be able to remember the way that they used to work or any of their habits from the past. Right. So Dennis, when we were doing the the pre-interview, when we talked through this stuff, I know you'd made a list of points that you wanted to hit. I'm going to ask, can you just recap those for the folks that are listening so that they get sort of like the refresher on the different things that, that you wanted to make sure were stuck in their heads by the time we were done? Yeah. And in a product-aligned, product-funded organization, um, you're better able to align what you're spending with your strategy. It's clear um, It's clear what you're investing in and why you're investing in it. Um, you can better manage uh, competing demands across a delivery organization because instead of getting pulled in a million directions, you're aligned around the value stream or the value network or the product line or the capability that you're operating within. And so you can, you can reconcile uh, those competing demands better. Um, and, then, and then importantly, it's how you create the conditions so you can delegate um, intent into the organization and get the feedback back up because the organization is aligned to the outcomes you're going for. They're not um, just running after project after project. And so that's an important thing. And then some of the obstacles are just um, overcoming the perception of transparency or that we're already doing all this. Because most organizations are not very good at it. They think they're doing things to do it because it's important. Yeah. But they're not good at it. They've got things in place that are actually limiting it. Um, there tends to be a lack of trust on the concerns of the business that the business won't have, won't have the concerns of IT in mind and that IT won't have the concerns of the business in mind so that we hide the money from each other. We yeah. stop each other from comparing those. And so the way that you overcome those are organize around products or capabilities. Um, uh, make the uh, outcomes uh, explicit for each of those parts of the group and then measure progress towards those outcomes or objectives for the product line or the capability. And then make the trade-off between new value, keep the lights on, and the health of the delivery organization. Um, make that transparent, that tension transparent. So those trade-offs are being made in alignment with each other. That was the uh, tuning the instrument. Together. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those were my, my primary right. This was great, Dennis. Thank you very much for making time for this. Um, can I ask you, I usually ask Mike weird questions at the end, but can I ask you a weird question? Yes. So I'm curious about, you know, now that we're trapped in our homes and it's been a couple of weeks, like what is the thing that you're missing the most? Oh, interesting. You know, the thing that I'm missing the most, I'm trying to figure out how to do, um, when I go to a client site, yeah. like people have prepared presentations and there's meetings and their stuff, but I'm walking around kind of feeling what's really going on. That ability to, to sort of sense yeah. when something's off. Yeah. Um, Cause you don't always get, you don't always get um, the bad information when everything is prepared and canned for you. Right. Yeah. And so I like being able to like look at the wall and see something that's, that doesn't resonate or, or that. So I, I miss that. I kind of miss um, a little bit being in the energy of all the people. Yep. What's really cool is we've gotten a, we've gotten pretty good at getting um, energy out of the out of the online stuff using mirror boards dynamically and Zoom. What's nice about everybody being remote? It's very different than when you're like remotely going <laughs> into a meeting with a room full of people. Yes, it is. Yes. So when everybody's remote, it's actually better because yeah. we're being better. Um, and so, so I kind of like that, that part of this. Um, 
I, I miss I miss being in airplanes and traveling and um, having dinners with people. Yeah, I don't miss getting a good night's sleep in my bed and exercising every day, and um, and being with my wife all the time. She might not appreciate it as much as I do. I like, <laughs> I like being here all the time. Yeah, I yeah I I everything you said plus one. I I've noticed. I don't think I realized how dependent I was on all the things I pick up all the information I pick up from just being in a room with students that I don't even like consciously absorb. It just like goes in and I do stuff with it. And when they're all on a screen, I'm like, I got not, nothing like all that. And all that stuff that you draw in, there's nowhere to get it now. It's almost like gasping for air sometimes. Yeah. I'm making a huge effort to make every meeting dynamic. That's good. I think it's like you said, some of the stuff's working really well. I'm finding the collaborative stuff is working great online, much better than I would have expected. Yeah. I mean, I just did an hour long workshop with our development COP on define the end state. Okay. Asking for help and, you know, explaining how they could participate and making sure that all the architectural constraints and challenges are taken into account as we lay out our, our base camps. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it was a great meeting because we were on Miro. They were able to draw some pictures. Most of it was dynamically created. It wasn't a presentation. Okay. I think I think six months ago, I would have tried to do it as a presentation, but because um, because we're doing so much just dynamically now, I was able to facilitate that a whole That's lot. That's great. Cool. Thank you for for doing this, and thank you for letting me ask you that question. Um, if folks want to get in touch with you, how would you like them to reach out? Um. My email is probably the best way to reach me, Dennis at leadingagile.com. Cool. All right. Well, Dennis, thank you very much. I can hear your cat in the background is clamoring for your attention. He's so he's so big, you know, the door <laughs> door snaps shut. And he actually he actually banged into the door until I got the door open. So oh. well, well, tell your cat thank you for sharing your time with us. And thank you. And I hope that you're able to stay safe and healthy. And thank your wife for all the work she's doing to help people. Thank you. And everybody wash your hands and keep your hands off your face. Yes, so and don't lick anyone. And don't lick anyone. <laughs> That's actually good advice, but probably in my world, not necessary to articulate. But yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks, Dennis. Yeah. <laughs>